Welcome back to Lambda Forms Radio. I'm your host, Ian Corey. Joining me today is singer and composer Cassie Wieland, who performs under the name Vines. Over the last three years, Vines has grown from a bedroom cover project to a full-fledged band. This Friday, August 18th, Cassie will release the latest, and first, actually, Vines EP, Birthday Party. When I realized I wouldn't be able to attend the release party, I decided to call Cassie up so that we could talk about the EP, shifting from classical music to pop music, going viral on TikTok, and much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, so typically with these these interviews, I like to start from about as far as close to the beginning, I guess, as I can. So this is a very broad question, but how did you start playing music? How did I start playing music? Well, I started playing clarinet in the fifth grade band. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I started playing music. I think I had a tendency to gravitate towards music before that but I never had any like formal training or piano lessons or anything like that so yeah clarinet in in elementary school was what got me started and then my band directors actually they were I had the same music teachers from like junior high throughout high school and they were really the ones that encouraged me to keep going and they would give me like one-on-one lessons and my jazz band director actually they were a husband and wife Kathy was the concert band director and then Randy was the jazz band Mm -hmm. and Randy would just give me like 15 CDs at a time 15 records of like Charles Mingus Miles Davis uh, Charlie Parker and I would just burn through them and give them back and he would give me 15 more. And we did that for like throughout high school. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what really got me started. When you describe like that impulses toward music before you started learning it in school, what, how did that manifest? Yeah. My parents always told me stories about how like when I was like two or three, like before I could probably form sentences coherently mm-hmm. uh i had this like fisher price piano and they would catch me like trying to learn nursery rhyme or like like tunes that i'd heard on like barney or whatever um they'd catch me just like by myself in my bedroom trying to learn those on my mm. little piano that's like the earliest that i can i don't remember that but that's that's the earliest that i've heard <laughs> Um, I was, I was trying to compose (laughs) Mm -hmm. the very earliest of vines covers that you were getting up to in your room. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I started, I just straight out the womb. I was doing covers, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'm assuming that outside of the, the jazz education that you're describing, you probably also listened to other music in a more casual way prior to that. I did. Yeah. I loved the radio. I I loved Radio Disney, especially as a kid, because, mm. you know, it was songs that I could listen to. But I remember my first CDs were like 
Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, which looking back on it, probably not that Radio Disney friendly, but I was constantly listening to the radio, listening to my CDs and trying to like build harmonies, even though I didn't realize that that was what I was doing at the time. Hmm. Like singing along, but not singing the the lead melody, that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah, I wanted to be like a backup singer so bad. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. I feel like the usual, the, the the typical kind of like, you know, preteen fantasy about playing music is usually being like up front and being the star <laughs> in some respect. Yeah, no, I was way too shy for that. Uh-huh. I didn't want to be, I wanted to be on stage, but I didn't want to be like the star star. I wanted to like help. Mm-hmm. And did, when you were in school, did you know any people or was there like a local scene of like musicians outside of the more, you know, like jazz band and orchestra band context? Yeah, in high school. So I went to uh, I grew up in a college town mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of like math rock emo kind of that scene going on. And that's where I would try to spend most of my time outside of school mm-hmm. um, is like going, just going to like college shows and, you know, coffee house, open mics and, and that sort of thing. And did you ever try to get involved in that scene or was it just always like as a more of a spectator kind of thing? I, I actually, I did a little bit with uh, one of my best friends from high school, Katie. We had, we had a cover band uh, together, mm-hmm. but it was like an acoustic um, type of thing. And I actually had uh, another friend um, where they and I would make, do acoustic covers, um, like webcam style and like post them on YouTube. And that's back when YouTube was in its earlier days. Actually, in college, I remember getting really embarrassed that there were videos of me from high school on the internet and like making my making my profile private privating all of the videos and then like immediately forgetting the passwords so like <laughs> they're they're locked down in the internet ether like somewhere but i have no i kind of wish that i had them now just to like see see what was going on there right um, do you think you'd find it embarrassing now or do you think you have enough distance where it would be like kind of a different experience? I think, I think I would find it endearing, you know, mm-hmm. like she, she was really trying her hardest and, and putting herself out there. And I know I was uh, painfully shy um, for uh, most of my adolescence. So to like do something like that and to like put it out there in public I was like, oh, that must be like really brave of her to do. Mm. Do you remember what kind of songs you would you would cover back in those days? <gasps> Covered Paramore. Absolutely. Mm. What else did we cover? I don't remember all that well, but it was definitely like like alt indie kind of vibe. Like, you know, we would be playing electric guitar songs, but on acoustic guitar and like we thought that was like so cool. Like no one had ever done that before. <laughs> <laughs> what about originals? Did you ever try writing your own music or was it just kind of purely this, uh, you know, relationship to the material that you already knew in some way? 
Mm. I did have, I had a guitar that I played in my bedroom and I think that I remember trying to write songs, but mostly focusing on the chords. I think the words part was really hard for me, mm-hmm. but I didn't really start trying to like sit down and write music like with an intent until college, until I tried, uh, until I changed my major to composition, actually. What was it originally before composition? I was music ed because I wanted to be like my, my band teachers. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's so wholesome. <laughs> it is. It was. Um, and so they all, I'm assuming that those band teachers like encouraged you to, you know, go all the way with like music school and do that as your, you know, was that sort of the inspiration for taking music seriously just kind of in general? Yeah. Yeah. I think they were the ones that gave me like permission to do that because mm-hmm. it was something that I thought that I wanted to do, but like, you know, when you're 17, you don't really know much of anything. So you're like, I don't know, maybe I'll do business for the rest of my life. But they were the ones that were like, no, you can, you can major in music and you can get a job with that. Mm-hmm. And I actually told them at first, I was like, I want to do composition. And they were like, Cassie, you've never written any music before and you, you have to have a portfolio. And I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> So what, what made you switch to composition? Like what led you to that moment to change majors and kind of change the course of your career? Uh, another teacher, actually, my theory teacher, Dr. Magnuson, um, Roy Magnuson, he, he was a composer and he noticed that I really enjoyed music theory and that I was good at it. And he encouraged me to take his group composition class And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. And he was like, just try it out. Just see if you like it. And then like the first, after the first class, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Mm. Do you remember like what about that first class made you feel that way? Mm. I don't know. I think it was, it was like the first project that we did just sitting down to write something for the first time, well, write something on purpose for the first time, like sitting down and building it and like working it out in my head, finding solutions and getting excited about about certain colors that I liked and everything that was possible. I Something just sort of clicked internally where I feel like I didn't really even choose it it w- mm. it just like made sense that this was what I was supposed to be doing at the time, you know? And so when you first started doing your own compositions, like what, what kind of model were you building off of? Like what kind of music did you want to try and write at that point in your life? Mm, at the time I was, well, I was studying classical composition. So I was listening to a lot of um, newer classical music and I remember the first thing that really caught my ear um was uh David Lang's The Little Match Girl Passion so I was listening to a lot of I guess you could call it like downtown New York post minimalism if you wanted to get like really genre-y about Mm -hmm. it but it was it was that sort of like new classical kind of like coming off of the 
Steve Reich kind of, yeah, post-minimalism. I, at the time when I was studying classical music, I remember getting very discouraged because a lot of the music that I was studying didn't sound like music that I wanted to write. And even Mm. if I, even though I like appreciated it, it was just like, I don't, I don't feel the need to make this. So it didn't feel like my voice fit in, uh, in that way. But then when, once I started listening to like David Lang and Julia Wolf and, you know, all of those, um, bang on a can downtown folks, I was like, Oh, I, I can have a place here if I want it. What about that music allowed you to envision your own space in that kind of conversation? Like what appealed to you about that stuff? I think it combined a lot of the things outside of classical music that I enjoyed with the things about classical music that I did enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, I was, you know, growing up listening to Midwest emo and and math rock and the radio and I think that music having just like having classical music with electric guitars in the first place, like at 18 years old, that like blew my mind. I was like, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it was that, that sort of element, the things that usually, you know, gave me a heart tug, but like in that classical music context where you can still very carefully craft and shape something in that in that sort of intricate way um really spoke to me i I, you know i've had a bunch of people who had music school experience in one way or another on this podcast myself included as uh, listeners will know and i've gotten a lot of a, a range of answers about how exactly that experience left them feeling about music you know i think there's a (laughs) pretty wide spectrum um and you know clearly you're still doing music now but how do you feel about that sort of the the academic route and you know what what effect did that have on your appreciation of music and how do you feel about it now coming out of the other side yeah i feel like the academic music world um opened a lot of doors for me um, before I went to music school, like I said, I, I really didn't have a lot of any professional training. I didn't even take private like clarinet lessons until I was 18 and mm-hmm. could, uh, afford them with my, with my coffee shop, you know, after school gig. <laughs> so going to school for music and just having this world opened up to me was really important i think for for where i am now cuz i i it was it was the education of it all you know i didn't i didn't i what i knew was purely intuitive before that so mm-hmm. to get to experience this wide range of you know what people had actually been studying for several years um for hundreds of years or whatever i don't know how long has music existed for you know <laughs> who can say you know <laughs> who can say <laughs> But at the same time, I I feel lucky that I sort of knew how to break free from a lot of that because, as you know, the music academic music world is very structured. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's very insular. Um, that would be a good word for it. it right. Um, you know, the cloistered maybe that's a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cloistered is a good one. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of people in the academic music world want to stay in that academic music world. They want to teach or they want to be impressive to teachers. Mm. And I think learning how to not, uh, care about being impressive really also opened a lot of doors for me because you know if you're if you're caring about being impressive there's uh you're probably not going to follow your intuition in a lot of ways because i feel like intuition and uh education can sometimes battle each other a little bit you know the head in the heart kind of thing you said that you had you already knew how to break free from that kind of enclosed system where do you think that that knowledge of self that knowing that you could go another direction where do you think that came from i'm gonna be honest it took me a long time to to get to that place Mm -hmm. um like like i mentioned you know even before i got to college i was like you can do music for money like that doesn't make sense and not to say that i'm doing music for money now i'm very much uh, not making money doing music. But um, I think it took a lot of training to listen to myself. And actually, you know, March 2020, I hate to say it, it was a terrible time, but it did, it was a time for me to reflect on what I actually wanted out of, out of my craft and what um, I felt the need to put out into the world. And I think that reflection time is really important for, for what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this is, that's another recurring theme on this podcast is like, (laughs) what are, what are people up to during the pandemic? Uh, But just to kind of fill in the gaps here a bit, Mm -hmm. what was your like musical practice uh, professionally or artistically prior to that moment in March, 2020? And then how would you describe it since? Like, what do you think changed in that moment uh, practically and conceptually? Yeah. So pre 2020, I was still very much in like the classical music realm. Um, I was looking for uh, commissions by classical ensembles to to write chamber pieces to um some like solos and duos some larger pieces but very much i was you know waiting for people to ask me to write music for them mm-hmm. um and then that music would come to them in the form of sheet music a score and then they would play it back to me and you know sometimes if you're lucky you get a recording that sort of thing and then 2020 concerts stopped um (laughs) and actually during my master's i had studied audio engineering and i i worked a little bit you know recording concerts for people for pay and um i was in the university of illinois experimental music studios um which Mm. are these amazing you know electronic music studios where i learned a lot about production and I didn't, I knew that I liked it, but I didn't fully know like where it would fit in for me. But that's what really gave me the tools to like put out music myself. And I 
mm-hmm. you know, at that, at that time and three years ago or however long it was, I was like, all right, I need to be making music. I want to, I want it to feel more honest and more, I guess, more direct um, in its creation. So yeah. I, I just started recording what I could and um, making covers um, just, you know, for fun and for practice. And that kind of brought me to here. Yeah. Uh, when do you feel like you settled into, like, how long did it take you from that kind of early phase of just like doing what you can and within, you know, your own means recording at home? When do you feel like you settled on a style that is that you feel like is representative of what you're doing now? Like how long did it take you to kind of figure out the vines aesthetic? Yeah. I don't know if I ever felt like a subtle or like a, Oh, this is it sort of moment. Mm -hmm. I think, um, once I think things started to get a lot more comfortable when I was, when I realized that what I liked about the creation of music wasn't really like the end product but the the process of making it mm-hmm. I think that opened a lot of doors for me mentally and and internally because um I that way you're not really stuck on a certain sound or asking like is this me is this not me you just sort of you're along for the ride I do think with the vocal processing that I do, I mean, with the gear that I use, it took me like a full year to like learn what was going on with, with the gear itself, you know, with like Uh the pedal and everything that I use. But once I got a good handle on that, I sort of knew how to get to whatever I was thinking quickly or more Mm -hmm. quickly. And it really, that that was a a nice you know world opening moment for me what inspired you to get that particular uh pedal and to start using that gear like why did you want to learn how to use that in particular <laughs> um this is kind of corny but i literally just like i googled bony bear vocal pedal <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it is just that simple, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. I, you know, I had, um, I had just seen him, Justin Vernon's one of my favorite artists. I had just seen him live and I was like, how the hell is he doing that? So I, I Googled it and I was like, oh, that's what he has. Okay. I'll buy that too. Mm-hmm. And I got this like TC Helicon voice pedal and, uh, it's, it's a very deep pedal. So I just focused on learning it. Um, and then I think after that, I, it stayed under my bed for a few months until <laughs> until I was like, I should do something with that. That was fun when I had it out. Mm-hmm. Um, was this the uh, the Bony Bear concert at Barclays? Yes. Yeah, I I was not there, but the weird th- one of the weird things about 2020 is I remember like all of the stuff that happened right before shutdown, <laughs> like very vividly. You know. Yeah. And so I can recall, you know friends of mine planning to go to that concert uh so just like it's it's i don't know it's just funny how the timeline becomes so like locked in 
to my head with that. Yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. Like right before was such a like fall the fall before that especially. Mm-hmm. It feels like a fever dream at this point. So when you did start recording covers and writing music with that, I guess like I'm curious about sort of the relationship between uh your original music and the covers that you do. Yeah. Like what how do you decide like what covers to pick and how do you feel about the process of like interpreting someone else's work versus like writing your own stuff? Yeah, they did feel very separate at first, like me making my own music versus learning the covers. But I started doing the covers actually because I was really mad that one of my concerts got canceled. Um, It was another COVID cancellation, you know, it happens, but Mm. it was a residency show that I was really excited about. And it was the first time I was going to be performing. I wrote this piece for a saxophone quartet and myself singing on the pedal. Mm -hmm. And um, it got, it got canceled. And I, (laughs) I think somewhere internally, I was like really petty about that. And I was like, well, I need, I feel like I didn't get my concert. I need some sort of attention for what I'm doing (laughs) as like shallow as that sounds I was like I need to do something like so I just you know I I made a cover and I put it on TikTok I never posted on TikTok prior to that I never wanted to but had you had you used the app were you just like a scroller on it before or yeah I would occasionally scroll at that point it wasn't very often but Mm -hmm. i had seen i had seen somebody do some cover and i was like oh that's a cool way to use use the app so i i started doing that and it actually became a really nice way for me to practice um performing and practice being on on stage quote unquote because it felt like like microdosing performance a little bit Mm -hmm. and i was so shy and it was so scary to me to even like put a camera um in front of myself so i was like you know what this will be this will be a good character building moment for me but to get back to your original question with the the covers versus the original music i think the covers started as practice for me there's so much good music out there that i love that i didn't write so Practicing it felt like a way to connect to what I like and what I don't like and how I would change something if I had written it. Mm -hmm. And I think very slowly after I started doing the covers, the line between the covers and the originals sort of blurred because I was like, wait, I can also just like put out music on Spotify or like put out my own stuff on TikTok. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, intellectual property siloed that way. I'm not saying that I use other people's music in my originals, but like the, the part of the brain that, you know, was figuring out the covers versus writing my own music. They're very felt very similar creatively. Right. And going back to the sort of thing that you were saying about like performance, it's almost like, to the user end experience, there's no reason why you can't perform originals and covers on that kind of stage. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I think the covers were sort of a gateway for me to realize that like 
you know, putting music out is, is putting music out and like, you don't have to be too precious about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You don't have to be too precious about that, um, with the original stuff either. Right. And how was the, once you did start posting on TikTok, you know, getting over that, you know, microdose stage fright, uh, (laughs) what was the response from, from your experience? Uh, first few videos, I think I was really excited when one got like 200 views. I was like, whoa, I like don't know that many people. That's crazy (laughs) that, (laughs) that 200 people saw my cover. Um, and then there was one that got significantly more interaction than the rest. I think it was like my fifth or sixth video. I don't, I'm not Mm. sure, but it was uh, a cover of the uh, Bo Burnham song, um, All Eyes on Me. It was from his new, his newer Netflix special. Right. Inside. Yeah. Yeah. The very, very COVID moment there too. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) yeah, I think it, I think it resonated for sure. Do you think Um, that's why that one in particular kind of took off compared to the ones previously or? I think so. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on with the TikTok algorithm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think she wants to remain mysterious, um, (laughs) and ever changing. But I do remember the night that that video took off. Like I had to turn notifications off on my phone because I hadn't had that problem before. And it was just like one after the other rapid fire and like, it was then that I learned that I needed to uh, sort of, I needed to define my relationship with social media and like fast. Cause like I didn't, I was happy that people were seeing the cover, but I didn't really do it to like get a lot of attention or to, I, my goal wasn't to be, you know, famous i didn't think people would actually like see it see it right um but with all of like the dopamine hits like i couldn't sleep that night i was like what what the hell is going on um but that that taught me um to remember you know why i'm doing this which is for my own creative endeavors Mm -hmm. what do you think your relationship is like with social media now after that dark night of the soul and notifications (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Well, the notifications are still off um, and they're going to stay off. I think after that initial hit, I sort of, I definitely leveled out a little bit. It's, it's hard to define though, because obviously like you want people to, you want to be able to resonate with people about what you're doing and what you're making. But also, you know, I get comments sometimes um, where people feel like they like know me know me and that's a little scary Mm -hmm. with you know somebody that you've you've never met but you you realize if you pay too close attention you realize how much people are seeing you um in like their lives and like placing that vision of you in their own lives and Mm -hmm. i can't think too hard about that because it's a little scary but i i think i'm i'm developing trying to develop a healthy relationship where i really enjoy 
being able to connect with people, but I also really enjoy having my own boundaries. Sure. Yeah. When people kind of have this image of you through your social media presence, what do you think that image is? Like what are, what do people amalgamate you into without knowing you? If I were to guess, so I think it's hard to say because my videos, a lot of my videos are like me sitting on my bedroom floor, um, not looking at the camera, just like doing my thing. Um, and I think because of that, because I'm not really talking about my personality or my interests or um, anything like that, I imagine that it's easy for people to project what they want mm-hmm. um, onto me, which it's impossible to say what that actually is, but I imagine it's some sort of a, a non-invasive friend type, <laughs> like uh, at the at its best, like that's right. probably what it is, and and at its worst, I've I've definitely had to uh, block some people for, you know, proposing to me in the comments. Like I don't I don't really like that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty creepy. Uh, yeah, I guess like the sort of thing that I'm getting at is I feel like to sort of sum up a lot of the music that you've released original and otherwise, uh, it would be really easy to kind of like narrow it down into this idea of like quote unquote, sad girl music, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and do you feel like that kind of framing is fair to what you're doing? Is that what you're is like sadness, even the emotion that you're going for or like, what's your relationship? I guess with that kind of like archetype that people may be throwing onto the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, I do think there's, I mean, there's definitely an emotional aspect to my music. Mm-hmm. Like most like most artists who are women, um, I, I don't like the sad girl archetype. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I, believe it or not, um, I think it might be a little damaging to be so, so reductive, you know, but... Um, I, there's definitely an emotional aspect, um, of my writing. I think there could be some sadness in there. Actually, the, (laughs) my record that that's coming out is, it is very sad. Um, I will, I'll be the first to say it. It's, you know, it's all about crying on your birthday. So (laughs) can't say that I am, uh, you know, distancing myself uh from the the sadness archetype all that much Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when did you since you brought it up the the ep uh called birthday party when did you start going from these kind of like one-off individual performances to conceptualizing this as like a project that can release recorded music and have kind of like a thing that you can sort of stake your you know the identity of the project on in that way. Yeah. So birthday party was originally, um, that composition that I wrote for myself and for a saxophone quartet. Um, ah, uh-huh. yeah. And it, that was the one that was supposed to be, um, premiered. I think it was 2021. It was supposed to have its premiere maybe, but that was the one that got canceled. Um, so I, 
I think that was sort of the turning point for the piece where I was like, okay, I'm going to put this out the way that I want. And I started recording the vocals, I think summer of 2021. But I started recording the vocals by myself, and then I brought them to my uh, now co-producer, Mike Tierney, um, who has recorded a lot of my stuff before, but I... I really liked his sound and I, we work really well together. So we started just building the record in the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, he did all of the guitars on it and the bass and I did keys and then we added the saxophone back in and we, um, added some violin too. But I think at the point that that original show was canceled, it became my, my burden to bear my, (laughs) my project to do whatever I wanted with. So I, I, yeah, I took the time to experiment with that and see, you know, how far I could push it. How did you first start working with Mike? We, he came recommended to me from a few friends, um, because he records, mixes, masters, um, a lot of classical music. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, my partner, Adam actually went to NYU with him. Mm. Um, so he was sort of in the circle of musicians that I hang out with and he's just so chill to be with in the studio. And as, uh, an audio engineer, I know that it is hard to be chill in the studio 24 seven. So, <laughs> um, we really just hit it off when we started working together and, that's when I knew it was meant to be. Do you still view Vines as an extension of your like quote unquote classical work or do you view it as like a separate thing? I see Vines as me. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think if I were to describe it as like some sort of like periphery spectrum. Like I think that my classical music is sort of on the borders of my at right now. I think it's sort of at the borders of my artistic expression where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still something that I create and comes from, you know, my creative process. But I think vines would sort of be a circle, a circle closer to me. Mm -hmm. where it's you know the same part of me that makes classical music but it does feel a little more direct and a little more honest what's been like the reaction has there been any kind of reaction going from that sort of classical world to whatever i don't even know how necessarily to categorize what you're doing now but has there (laughs) been like any blowback or uh confusion or like how do you think that move has been received like in your social circles that's a good question i mean my my friends are all super supportive um and that's why that's why they're my that's why we're friends with each other (laughs) (laughs) um i i think i'm very proud to say that if there has been any negative reception um i haven't really heard it because uh i i don't um if somebody was really that upset about something that I was doing creatively that felt true to me. Um, I, I don't think I would want to be friends with them. <laughs> sure. 
Um, I'm definitely getting less classical commissions now than mm. I was, but I'm also I'm also saying no to to most of them because I'm busy with this kind of thing. So sure, sure. I think um, a lot of people that I've talked to, at least who know me from my classical work and from this work, are really um, have been excited about it and have been really interested in learning about like where that intersects for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you do, you see them as like compatible practices. I do. Yeah. I have been trying not to categorize my practices as much mm-hmm. and just go with what I'm feeling and what, what feels um, honest at the time. And that's, that's really been helping me put away the like, Oh, I should do this. I shouldn't do that sort of thought. So I know that Vines has now performed live and not just as a, you know, solo performance on the internet. What was the, what was that translation process like going from, cause I, I guess it's, I sort of see there as being like three different ways of engaging with your music. Either it's mm-hmm. something that people engage with on social media they engage with the actual finished recording recorded project or mm-hmm. you could see it live. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how has the process been translating those initial performances into the more, into the other two worlds? I think that's been the hardest part for me logistically is, you know, making a record um, and then deciding how that's going to look live. Mm-hmm. I made a point to, while we were making the record, to not worry about how it was going to be live yet, because I was like, I want to make what I want to make, and we'll figure out the rest later. Mm -hmm. But now, I kind of have to figure out the rest, like, (laughs) now is the time to figure (laughs) out the rest. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, well. Um, But it has been really interesting. It's been really nice to be able to work with other musicians who know this process a lot better than I do and to to figure it out because um the first few rehearsals that I had with the band um it's not the the songs that we are performing live are not really like first chorus verse chorus kind of thing mm-hmm. as you know you know uh like uh very similar to your music i think there are it form is is an important part so learning like when to cue each other and how to be fluid with like the choreography of it all um has has taken a lot of practice but i feel i feel like it's been worth it i think even the decision to uh to make it a band might be surprising for some people who know you primarily as like a solo performer. Why did you decide to have it be a larger group and not just yourself? Honestly, I having it only be myself at the time felt very daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know if I could fully pull it off. And I, I mean, at the time that we were doing our first show, it, it just sort of made sense because the record has, you know, bass, guitars, drums. So I'm like, okay, I'll just like have people play the bass, guitars, drums. So I don't have to do that by myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just like hitting space bar, you know, and <laughs> letting it run. So that's sort of where we started. And then 
Um, we did use stems from the records, like um, some violin loops and some distortion loops that mm-hmm. that came off of the record and onto the stage. So technically, the the EP comes out on the nineteenth. Is that right? Or eighteenth, uh, August eighteenth. Gotcha. Yes. And you are not playing a, a release show so much as at, is so. Is it a re- sorry? I'm um, mixing up the. Uh, the event, but is it a release show or is it like a listening party? Uh, it is a listening party. I, um, wanted, I wanted to have a party, but I wanted it to be, uh, low pressure for me at least (laughs) (laughs) putting on the show and then like playing in the show are like two full time things. So I was like, okay, I have to, I have to choose one here. Um, but it's actually going to be at, uh, my, pole dancing studio and it's going to feature um live performances by um some dancers that i've i've become friends with over my time there and um i'm really excited to see what they do because they're going to be um improvising together in real time while we listen to the album Mm -hmm. and i would imagine that anyone listening knows that the kind of music that you make is not what i think people would typically associate <laughs> with that kind of venue uh so you'd be surprised okay, yeah please I, inform me <laughs> <laughs> i think i think for somebody who does not practice pole dancing or is not in that realm um yes they very much look like separate things but i've, I've learned from my time practicing in that studio that um there are you know infinite numbers of of styles and uh, music tastes and, you know, every, every dancer there is a creator Mm -hmm. um, just like any musician. And I, the, the dancers that I asked, I actually didn't expect this, but all all of the dancers that I asked if they'd be interested in doing this, I like sent them the album was like, would you be, um, is this something you'd be interested in? And they all said, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I, I think I found some that do do really fit uh, similar energies and have like similar um, music tastes to me too, mm-hmm. at least from you know from what I know. Do you see any kind of like connection between your like creative practice and the like athletic one? Absolutely, yeah. When I first started dancing. Um, it felt very similar actually to when I first started doing covers. I was Mm. like, this seems like it could be, I just like have a poll to do this. I'm just going to try it. So I will be less scared the next time that I do it. And both times it, it sort of seemed to fit really nicely into like my creative process. Mm -hmm. And, um, Sorry, what was the original question? I totally lost my train of thought. Oh no, it was it was a pretty broad question, so you could you can kind of take it wherever you want. But I, I guess mm. I'm interested in that the intersection between like a creative practice and like a, an athletic or a mm. like physical exercise and artistic exercise. Because I I personally I think that there are definitely some similarities uh, in my own experience. But I'm I'm curious to hear like your perspective on it. Yeah, I think the most similar part between the two for me is is the learning part Mm -hmm. um is the idea of not 
being super familiar with something and just like figuring it out as you go. And I think the more that I, you know, was practicing pole dancing, um, the more I was able to fully lean into, in my creative practices too, to, to fully lean into like not having the answers yet mm-hmm. and seeing where that takes me. And I think that mindset has has opened up a lot of things for me creatively. And I know that some, some musicians sometimes find this a bit gauche when there's already a release that, you know, is <laughs> that we're ostensibly promoting here. Um, but do you have any plans for the future after birthday party? I mean, you've said that this is like a piece that you've been sitting on for a while. Uh, yeah. Where would you like to take Vines next after this event? Yeah, I've been working on um, collaborating with a few artists that I like. I Those projects are too early on to be discussing quite yet, but I think a big part of what I enjoy about this whole thing is getting to connect with other musicians and, and, um, collaborate. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing more of that moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to work on some more projects where, um, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm doing something with film or like collaborating with another art practice too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just like to close out, this interview with like one I'm just, just came up with this idea on the spot, but I think this might be a fun <laughs> way to like close out the, uh, my interviews going forward is like, if mm-hmm. you could, since we started at when you first started playing music, um, if you could give yourself a piece of advice, like one thing that you could tell your younger self now on the mm. other side or not on the other side, but now in the middle, you know, of this like artistic journey you're on, what do you think you would tell yourself? Ooh, Um, I would tell myself to give myself more grace, I think. I think it's really hard when you're first starting out, um, anything, you just feel so dumb, um, because you don't know anything. Right, right. (laughs) And I, I think it's even more so than practicing it's really a game changer to give yourself permission mentally and like emotionally to to try something and like mess it up for a good while mm. um so that's that's the advice i would give anybody so that's the advice i would give myself too hell yeah well thank you so much <laughs> for for sharing your thoughts and for having this combo with me this is great yeah thanks for having me 